Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics and ending the stigma through educational discussions. The Vine podcast does not offer medical advice nor condone any use of illegal substances. Consult your physician or therapist before making changes to your wellness plan and before trying alternative healing medicines. Today, we welcome Pat Murphy, filmmaker of the new documentary Psychedelia that examines the history of psychedelics and the current psychedelic renaissance movement. Pat's work has been featured on PBS, Showtime, and in major news outlets like People Magazine. His independent films have been shown in museums and international film festivals around the world. And we're so pleased to welcome Pat to The Vine. <laughs> Great to be here. Yes, welcome, Pat. We love your film. Um, and we just want to see if you might start off telling us what your interest and relationship is with psychedelics. Sure. So, um, so I got interested in psychedelics, um, really before the whole psychedelic renaissance, um, has happened. So I became interested when I was a teenager. Um, and you know, my interest really came from uh, a fascination with, uh, the history of the counterculture, um, in the 1960s. Um, I became really, really fascinated with that period of history. Um, and I started reading books by Timothy Leary, um, and reading books about Ken Kesey and the acid tests and, you know, all the music that I was listening to sort of came out of that period. Um, and I think was what was interesting, you know, about that period to me at, at that time, I was sort of like in a rebellious teenager sort of phase. And, you know, it was interesting that people um, were using psychedelics to sort of transcend society um, and sort of find new ways of living outside this, the societal norms, which, you know, coming out of the fifties was a very sort of conservative, rigid period of time. Um, so, th so that was really my interest. Um, and I was disappointed in my own generation. Um, and I was like, I don't feel this way anymore, but at the time I would have like killed to be born around the year 1945. So I could have actually lived through all this stuff that I was reading about and watching all these documentaries about. Um, so that, that was, that's where I really came to it from. And then um, I went to film school at NYU and was studying film and television um, and was in my senior year and was looking for a senior project, um, a subject for senior project film. And I overheard somebody talking about how uh, their mom was working on a study at the NYU School of Medicine using psilocybin uh, with people with cancer who were dealing with end-of-life anxiety. Um, and that just immediately piqued my interest. Um, the idea of, you know, coming from this sort of fascination with the 60s, the idea of uh, a controlled substance being used um, by doctors, you know, in suits and ties at a major university, um, DEA, FDA controlled, um, was just really, really fascinating to me. Um, so then I started doing some research into the history of psychedelic uh, research. And um, that also just blew my mind, like learning that, you know, Timothy Leary, before he became sort of the LSD guru, um, was a Harvard professor. Um, and was doing research with psilocybin at Harvard University in the early 60s. Um, and, you know, the person who coined the term psychedelic was a psychiatric researcher named Humphrey Osmond. Um, and that, that word was uh, coined, I believe, in 1957, so really before the whole hippie uh, movement. So that's really kind of how I started. And I said, you know, this is what I want to make a film about. Um, it was a film I thought I would finish my senior year of college. <laughs> so here I am in 2022, almost 10, 10 or 11 years later. I was going to say, how many years was it, Pat? That's okay. Well, but... <laughs> I, I had the idea in the fall of 2011. 
um, and then uh, started really filming in 2012, and, I, and then I graduated in 2012. Um, and it was a project that just sort of kept building over, over the years. And how much has changed, too, just within that 10 years to make, I'm sure, this film even have... Oh my gosh, just so many twists and turns. And we're very grateful. Pat allowed Elizabeth and I to watch the film, guys. So we've already seen it. So we can tell you from firsthand, you know, how excellent it is. And really what I feel is so important about this is that, you know, when we're sitting amongst a lot of people that are in the space or in the industry, you know, we sometimes forget how many people still need to know the full get an understanding of the history of it that don't know it. And when we were in the cannabis space, I felt the same way. Why people weren't, you know, were really confused why we care so much that it's called cannabis and not marijuana. Well, there's rooted in racism in the history there that explains that. And so sometimes I take for granted that because Elizabeth and I are so immersed in these spaces that maybe the folks around us immediately know this, but really you step outside of this industry or this space at all. And people do not, they are still just shredded in these, in these stigmas around, around these compounds. And I think that your film is going to do a good way of, of giving some context to why so many people care about this through the explanation of seeing how history has evolved and where we are now. Um, and I, you know, I feel like I want to know like what you would hope someone would take away from seeing the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the thing I, I, um, I hope people would take away, and I hope I communicate this well, um, is that, and this is really what I discovered in sort of looking at the history of psychedelics. Like, you know, um, at the time, I had no idea that they were used by indigenous cultures, for instance, going back thousands of years. Um, and I didn't know that they, were in, that they were used therapeutically, you know, in the 50s and 60s. Um, so I really wanted to tell that, that whole story. And so what I really learned about it is it's not so much the the compound itself, it's, it's the context in which you take it. Um, and of course, you know, set and setting is kind of the, the word that's used often. Um, but it, it became fascinating to me that, I mean, taking a substance like LSD could either be incredibly therapeutic or incredibly frightening um, and could actually have some really, you know, negative consequences. So I think, you know, what I want people to take away is that historically there was, they were always used as part of a ritual. Um, and they're always treated um, as a sacrament of some sort and, and as taking something sacred. Um, and then when you look at it in the context of, you know, the medical use, um, that's a very controlled setting where, you know, people are prepared ahead of time. Um, they're taking the substance, you know, under, with a certain intention. Um, there's music being played. And then there's integration afterwards, too. So they work, you know, with them to sort of integrate that experience back into their lives. Um, and that's really where you get the therapeutic um, benefits. So, so I hope that's really what people can take away is it's, it's not just the compound themselves, it's the context um, that's so important. And I have been telling people about this film and I'm like, you know, this was happening just the way it is now. We're just, it's history repeating. And I think, you know, sometimes it takes seeing something over and over to really get that. But your film brings that home. I mean, you're exactly right. Set and setting is what we talk about. I've even gotten to the point where I'm like, well, maybe I would try it in a clinical setting. It, that scares me to have my eyes covered and, you know, not be out in nature. But anyway, I am. Um, you know, there's so many great historical uh, figures and footage in your film. And so how did you get 
these great leaders to participate? How did you get a hold of all of this, you know, historical footage? <laughs> yeah, one one in one word, it was persistence. Um, I mean, <laughs> it, this was something that I was working on for for years on end. Um, really, with no no boss looking over my shoulder, um, nobody really holding me accountable. Um, but I was, you know, um, really, really lucky to get access to um, some of the leading figures, some of the leading researchers in the field. Um, and that really started with connecting with the NYU team. Um, so back when I was a student is when I did interviews with uh, Dr. Stephen Ross and Dr. Jeff Gus and Dr. Tony Bassas, mm-hmm. which were sort of the three key um, investigators of that NYU uh, cancer anxiety study. And then they would sort of refer me to other people to interview. So I got connected with Matt Johnson at Johns Hopkins, um, for instance, and then eventually Charlie Grove, um, who was at UCLA. and was actually the first person to do a study um, with cancer and anxiety, uh, first study since the 70s. Um, so it, it was sort of one thing led to another, um, but, it, but it took a really long time to build trust, really, um, and to sort of convince them that I was going to tell this story with, with integrity. Um, and then the, uh, the historical footage is funny because when you're making a film, you always look for um, footage that's in the public domain just um, because licensing uh, third party footage can get quite pricey. So um, as documentarians, you, we always look for what's in the public domain and um, anything the United States government creates uh, is in the public domain. So I just went to the National Archives and said, do they happen to have anything on LSD? And it turned out there were all these films that were done um, in the 50s and 60s on LSD and even like filming these early LSD research studies back when they really didn't know anything about what this substance was and what it does and how to administer it and how to guide someone through the trip. Um, and so there's this amazing kind of footage that, that I found. Um, so a lot of that is really from those government uh, films. It's wild. Like some of them, like the ones, um, I, was it that the LSD was being given to the therapists so that they can understand? And the idea was to actually connect um, with potential patients that had psychosis, yet realized that that is not the same thing um, yeah. at all. But there was just a moment, and I'm not giving any spoilers, guys. You're gonna you're gonna see the film, but there's just this moment of just authenticity with with um, that therapist when he undergoes, um, you know, this this dose of LSD, where just like says that he it feels like you know like like just warmth and happiness all over him and, and just this just gratitude that you see expressed on his face. And this is, you know, just old footage of just the like the honesty and the realness of him going through this experience and watching it. It's like really impactful because, you know, here's a man that studied this, that's a therapist that's done all this. And within moments of this experience, you know, completely cracked open and was completely just honest and and, fe- and he feeling was all the feels. He oh yeah, tears coming down yeah. his face. Mm-hmm. It was it was yeah. truly amazing. That's quite a moment, and you can see he's sort of he's struggling to find the words to communicate what he's experiencing, um, which of course is one of like the the basic things of the mystical experience is that it's ineffable. You can't really describe it in words, or words are inadequate to describe the feeling that you're experiencing, but you can really see it in in the emotion. Yes, you can see it in the emotion. And, you know, there are just so many different ethnic groups who have in history, um, you know, have used psychedelics in their traditions, as you you mentioned. And so I'm just really curious, like, how can we ensure that these indigenous voices are a part of this movement 
moving forward? Like, how can they be a part of the policymaking? How can we ensure that their voices and what they do are being heard so that it's that the mystical doesn't get lost in all the science behind mm-hmm. this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, that's one of the things um, that's been pointed out. Um, like people had wished that I had interviewed somebody from that indigenous background. Um, and I did make an attempt to find somebody towards the end of the film, um, but I was finishing it creatively right when COVID hit and that sort of shut down like the ability to sort of travel and find interview subjects and that sort of thing. Um, but one of the main characters that I wanted to bring out of the historical narrative was Maria Sabina. Um, and so she was a Curandara um, from uh, the mountains of Mexico. And um, she's really um, the person that gave Gordon Wasson, uh, led him into a mushroom ceremony. And of course, he wrote about that in a famous Life magazine article. And that's really what reintroduced uh, magic mushrooms to the West. So I really wanted to, to um, sort of bring her out of the historical narrative as a main character. Um, and at the end of the film, there's a little summary about what actually ended up happening to her. Um, and her end was actually quite tragic um, because all this attention um, brought sort of hordes of Westerners down to her village, um, sort of seeking that same experience. And she was ostracized from her community and her house was burned down. And so I think it's always really important to talk about that, that tragic end. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, so much has happened in the past couple of years um, with sort of mainstreaming psychedelics uh, in the West. Um, and, you know, you see all these startups coming up and these for-profit companies. And you know, I think there's, there's, there's probably a place for that um, in, in this space. But I think one thing that we really need to do is to, um, one, bring those indigenous voices into the conversation because there's so much wisdom there. I mean, they, their wisdom goes back thousands of years. Um, and so that, like, our knowledge of psychedelics really pale, pales in comparison to theirs. Um, so I think they should be brought in on the in, in the conversation. And I think it would be good to have them be on the advisory board um, of some of these companies, um, have them be on, on the board. And when we're creating policy around, you know, how, how on earth do you make psychedelic medicine available legally um, in, in modern society? I think they should be brought into that conversation because there's so much uh, knowledge that goes back thousands of years. Can you imagine a better you? Empathic Health is a global community providing support so you can find more fun, freedom, and connection in your life. Empathic Health is my integration solution for incorporating my healing work into my daily routine. Empathic Health has given me a space to use my voice to express my thoughts and be myself in a safe place. I'm excited to get to the type of work that gives my life more clarity and joy. Helping others has done nothing but help me in return. Know your medicine, know yourself. Join Elizabeth, myself, and the rest of the community today at empathic.health. Gina and I found different things uh, about the film impactful. And for me, it was the patients at the end speaking about their psychedelic experiences. And I, I guess that's because we got to see these real life experiences from people that would not ordinarily be introduced to psychedelics. And um, I just wondered if there was anything else you learned from interviewing them. And, um, you know, what is it about these brave souls that sort of let you in? Um, There was one woman in particular, the woman in orange, who reminds me of many people I know in my life. And I just thought, 
I mean, she was so self-aware to say that I am full of anxiety. I'm very, I was closed-minded and I was just like, oh my gosh, like she opened up, it opened her world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, just, I got, I got so lucky, um, being able to, to interview, uh, the actual participants in, in the NYU cancer anxiety study. Um, and I owe, I owe a whole bunch of gratitude to Dr. Jeff Gus, um, because I had sort of asked them about, can I interview the participants in the study? Um, but they thought it would, might interfere with the integrity of the study. And so, oh, if you, if you can, you, you can only interview them afterwards. But originally it was sort of a no, like it was, no, we don't, we don't let our participants talk to the press sort of thing. Um, but then a couple of years into the project, I got a call from Dr. Jeff Gus and he said, um, you know, I just her, this woman just finished the study and that was Estelin, um, the woman you mentioned, Elizabeth. Is that right? Yep. And he said, you know, I was listening to her experience and how it reshaped um, her view of cancer and anxiety and all that. And he said the things she was saying were so amazing that we need to capture this for posterity in some way. And so he said, if you can get yourself up to Rochester, New York, where she lives, um, we'll, we'll let you interview her. So, um, so I went up, we did this fantastic, you know, hour long interview. And I was just amazed at how open she was in, in talking about her anxiety and this ex incredibly powerful experience she had um, with psilocybin as part of the study and how that sort of reshaped her outlook afterwards. Um, so I was blown away by that. Uh, I mean, so many things I could talk about. <laughs> One thing she said, um, which I don't think I, yeah, I cut out of the film was um, Esselin was a friend had called her like a few days after the experience and said, Hey, you know, how are you? Um, and she said, you know, I'm great. And she said she was 65 years old and it was the first time in her entire life she had ever answered that question in that way. Wow. Um, and I've actually been lucky enough. We, we still keep in touch. Um, and she's actually a, a psychotherapist herself um, and um, has undergone the MAPS uh, training program um, using MDMA. And I believe is starting to do some work up, up where she lives with MDMA. Oh, my gosh. Um, that is, that is yeah. incredible. That is so, so incredible. I think that one of the biggest takeaways I might have had was that how once the once psychedelics became recreational in a sense and exploded on the cultural scene, how quickly that backlash resulted in the erupt, the abrupt end of all research. And then how all of that stigma that got pushed in with like the war on drugs. I mean, I just feel like that whole thing happened so quickly and still remains. And I, you know, I, I want to be cautious in the way that we talk about things on the podcast and not make it seem that we're, you know, creating some sort of psychedelic exceptionalism, that it's just better than other compounds and that it, or that it's okay for everyone to use. But, and I wonder like what we can take away from what happened with that counterculture exposure to make sure that we don't repeat history like that again. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts maybe on kind of studying that cultural side of the movement mm -hmm. um, to like, what can we learn from that to make sure we don't make those mistakes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, um, you know, as I understand it, really, the war on drugs was really more about um, politics and culture, really more than, than the drugs themselves. Um, and there's this there's this uh, incredible quote by um, John Ehrlichman, who was um, a sort of advisor to Richard Nixon. And he talks about um, 
really the or the true origin of the war on drugs. And um, he said, you know, did we know we were lying about the drugs and what they do? Of course we did. What it was really about was going after their two enemies at the time, which was the civil rights movement and the hippies. Um, and so if you could, you couldn't really outlaw the ideas that both of those groups were striving for. But if you could outlaw the drugs that they were using, um, that would give you an excuse to raid their homes and throw them in jail and sort of repress those movements. So, um, so the war on drugs very much comes from this sort of political and cultural background. And of course, the laws make no sense. I mean, uh, marijuana and LSD, psilocybin, Schedule One compounds um, with high addictive liability and no, no known medical use, which, of mm-hmm. course, was inaccurate with all the research that was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that the psychedelic exceptionalism uh, piece is interesting. I mean, I, I think on the one hand, uh, it's not unreasonable to say that psychedelics are exceptional um, because, I mean, if you just look at the, the impact that they have on the brain and consciousness, and um, I mean, it, it is really exceptional and, and people have real mystical, religious, life-changing experiences on these compounds. I haven't heard really of anybody having like a life-changing event on cocaine, for instance. Maybe that's happened. But so I think on the one hand, they are sort of exceptional. Mm -hmm. Um, But then again, you know, I I do see this issue with sort of people looking down their noses at the other compounds because, um, you know, there should just be decriminalization at least, if not legalization across the board. I mean, of course, um, that's just like a fundamental right that you should be able to change your consciousness um, as long as you're not harming other people. And, um, you know, I think we think of these hard drugs as being more, um, you know, easily abused, but there's also people who use those drugs responsibly as well. Um, And there's that professor at Columbia named Carl Hart, you know, and he he actually, he's a professor and he writes books and gives speeches and he talks about um, his use of of some of those drugs, which is really, really interesting. Um, And of course, you can abuse psychedelics too. And it doesn't, Dr. Carl, he's a great example of someone that's like, look at me. I'm a big time professor and really smart. And guess what? I can microdose heroin if Mm -hmm. I want. And, you know, that was like to a lot of people, again, the way the media can pull a headline, like, you know, and like kind of almost seem like, oh, well, you know, here's what he's saying. But the context a little bit deeper is, yes, there can be an adult use to any compound. And who are we to judge what someone else may find as a healing modality? Um, So in that, I feel that it's right. But you're right. I mean, there are just some compounds that are not going to reach that why we why the term entheogen it matters, right? It's mm-hmm. like not all compounds are going to bring you to a mystical experience. And, and your film really focuses on that history of the mystical experience itself um, and how these compounds can bring you that closer sense to the divine and how mm-hmm. that, in fact, will be exceptional. So I, I kind of feel as if I don't, you know, I understand that some people are like, oh, you know, you get down the psychedelics road and a lot of people you know, shun and look down on other things. But Really, if we think about it, it is really exceptional. And I'm glad that you said that because, I mean, the, the, the healing that can be done through these compounds and some of the experiences we saw through the film were, were just fantastic mm-hmm. and can't wait for everybody to see it. <laughs> right. I mean, I that is my hope. I want everyone I know plus <laughs> to see it just to understand what Gina and I are doing, especially, you know, some of my more conservative friends just to to understand the history and the healing that happens. And um, 
I just think you've done an outstanding job of putting all of that together in a pretty concise way with, you know, here it is, here's the history, you know, you're not making a judgment one way or the other, you're just saying here are the facts. I'd like to believe that Ehrlichman and government doesn't have that kind of power, but they do. And um, maybe it's the beautiful scientist and the doctors that didn't have the backbone to say, you know what, we're not going to take this. And here's why. I don't know. We can't let it happen again. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're so excited to have the opportunity to show the film in our communities. Gina and I are, um, Gina's going to premiere it in uh, Pittsburgh on Bicycle Day, which is April 19th at the Row House Cinema. And then we're going to show the film in D.C. uh, sometime this summer. So we hope everybody will stay tuned And Pat, can you tell our listeners how to contact you, connect with you, learn more about your film? Are you working on anything else that's a (laughs) continuum to this? (laughs) Yeah. Right now I'm uh, working on promoting this film, which which I realize it's almost like a full-time job. Um, But, um, you know, I think uh, I haven't started this, but I think the next thing is to take the, the film covers so much history and so much ground. Um, that I'd really like to actually break that down into uh, like a multi-episode series, Um, you know, and really spend like a whole hour, for instance, talking about like indigenous use and then spend a whole hour talking about like the CIA and that whole history and, and, and then do like, you know, the latest with the research and the policy changes and all that. So that, that's kind of something I'm toying around with. Um, I love that. Yeah. But, um, but if they want to find out more, they can just go to my website um, it's psychedeliadoc.com. So psychedelia, like the title of the film, doc.com. And um, I have a newsletter. So that's really if they want to stay up to date with the latest screenings um, and an eventual wide release, that's really the best way to, to stay in touch about that. That's so fantastic. And we're so excited to be able to show the film. And we're so grateful to have met you and to have this opportunity because we really feel that in on our mission to help end the stigmas around plant medicines, we have to tell the story. And what better way than to show the historical facts to help tell the story? And I think that, you know, for 90 minutes, we get people into a room together where they can share space. And we hope that may, at the very least, maybe by the the uh, DC showing, we can have you come down and do maybe a Q&A after the film with some of the members of the audience. Because I think that this is going to bring up a lot of questions with folks. And I think that an important aspect of what this film can do is really bring the community together. So if anyone is interested in showing the film and their communities are getting involved, definitely check it out for Pat. You know, we want to make sure that this gets out in the community as much as possible. And we'll keep, we'll make sure that we continue to share, you know, when we know it's coming to, um, you know, nearby cities, um, because we want to have discussions around this film. We want people to watch the film and then let's gather as community and really talk about how we can, you know, really push the needle, not only with the policy side of things, but really helping and being a community that supports one another and is there for each other for this intense healing. And I think with that, we can really, you know, change the society that we live in if we can come to a place with a compassionate heart and understanding of how healing is going to look different for all of us. Exactly. And I think we're at this this moment in time um, where <laughs> society and, and the world at large needs a, a lot of healing. Um, and really our, our sort of the survival of the species is really depending on it, uh, the way we're treating each other, the way we're treating the environment, um, you know, our own mental health. Um, this is really, it's re- reaching sort of critical 
uh, time. So, you know, I, 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 the research side of psychedelics really appealed to me because I thought that that would be the best way to sort of introduce this subject to, um, an audience that doesn't know anything about it, or, or maybe the only things they know about it is what they heard from the war on drugs. Um, you know, and let's just show this, the facts rooted in sort of science and history and kind of tell that whole story in a, in a succinct hour. What is so fantastic. So thank you again so much for joining us today, Pat. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. I could keep talking forever. Oh yeah. Well, we'll have you back on too. We definitely yeah. want to. Thank you so much. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to The Vine, a Plant Media Project podcast. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to never miss an episode. For cannabis and psychedelic news, visit us online at plantmediaproject.com. Together, we can end the stigma around cannabis and psychedelics. 